Is there a desire in you to not just attend revival, but live in revival? Welcome to the Revival Lifestyle Podcast. I'm your host, Isaiah Saldivar. I've been in revival for the last 10 years, as well as traveling and being a part of many revivals throughout the United States. I'm going to be sharing with you how to live a radical lifestyle of revival on a daily basis. Right now, during this crisis that we're in called coronavirus, now is the time to remember the words that God has spoken over you. I woke up this morning and I kept hearing the Lord say, Isaiah, you need to tell them that now is the time to remember every word that is spoken over. I'm telling you right now, some of you have forgotten the word that has been spoken over your life. Some of you have forgotten the prophetic words that you've gotten over your life just as a child at conferences, through ministries, words that God has spoken. You have forgotten the words that God has given you over your kids. Some of you have forgotten the words that God has given you over your ministry. Some of you have forgotten the words that were spoken over you of deliverance and healing. Some of you pastors that are watching right now, you have forgotten the word that revival is coming to your church. You have forgotten the word that depression and anxiety would be broken in your life. And I'm telling you right now is the time to bring to remembrance the word that God has spoken over you. I've been bringing them in my own prayer time, in my own study time, saying, Lord, remind me of the words that you have spoken over me. Everybody thinks right now because of what is happening in America, I'm telling you this is a word for somebody right now. I see you, Eduardo. You think because what is happening right now in America, God is not going to perform his word. But I want to tell you that God's word has not changed just because the coronavirus is broken out. God is faithful to perform his word. It's important to remember that not only do we need to remember the word, but the Bible says that we have to remind God of the word that was spoken over. See, the Bible says in the book of Isaiah, bring to remembrance the word. So not only that you, he would know the word, but that you would know the word. Paul told Timothy based on the prophetic words that you were spoken over you, may they help you fight in the Lord's battle. Friend, prophetic words and words that God has spoken, they help you fight the supernatural battle we're in. And I'm telling you right now, you might not know it this, but we are in the fight of our lives. That America is in a great spiritual battle right now as I'm preaching. There is a war going on in the heavenly realm. Some of you say, Isaiah, why do you keep preaching on spiritual warfare? Why every week are you talking about spirits and demons and deliverance? And why are you bringing on guests to talk about the power of the supernatural realm? Why are you talking about the power of prayer and the power of the word of God? Because I believe that we are in a supernatural war right now. I know a lot of you are trying to argue about government, argue about governors, argue about the president. But what you need to understand is we are not fighting people. We are fighting in the supernatural realm. And I came to tell somebody, let the prophetic words, I feel like preaching tonight, let the prophetic words that have been spoken over your life begin to help you fight the battle. Paul says, the words that were spoken over you, Timothy, are going to help you fight in the war that you're in. When you battle, this is how this works. If you, when you're battling, if you remember the word, you'll be able to push through the battle knowing that I have a word from God and what I'm going through is not going to destroy me. The devil can't stop the word. Depression can't stop the word. Fear can't stop the word. Anger can't stop my word. Lies and circumstances 
Come on, somebody help me. Am I preaching to anybody tonight? Lies and circumstances can't stop the word. Gossipers and backbiters can't stop my word. Addiction that's trying to hold me down can't stop my word. Generational curses can't stop my word. I'm going to keep fighting in the battle because I have a word from God and I know that my word is going to come to pass. Despite what my situation looks like, my situation does not determine my word. Somebody needs to take note, but my word determines my situation. My situation is not going to dictate the word that God has spoken over my life, but the word that God has spoken over my life is going to dictate the situation that I'm living in. Come on, everybody share right now. You have to understand that before our revival broke out in California, years and years prior, my uncle got a word that made absolutely no sense. He got a word that in our family, God was going to raise up an army. See, but you need to understand that in our family, we weren't serving the Lord. In our family, we were backslidden. All of my brothers and sisters and cousins were running from God. And here my uncle has a word that God was going to raise up an army, but the circumstances did not match the word. But little did we know that God was going to deliver me and save me. And that word was beginning to, to produce fruit. But that word from five years ago was going to begin to happen. And I want to tell you that you might have a word that looks impossible. You might have a word that looks irrational or illogical. But God specializes is in, in impossible situations. God specializes in words that don't make sense. There's no sense in rain coming from the sky when water's only coming from the ground. There's no sense in anything that God has spoken. What sense is there is in a shepherd boy taking down a giant? Friend, I'm telling you, God's word is illogical in the eyes of man. God's word is irrational in the eyes of man, but all you need to begin to do, I prophesy over you right now that you're going to begin to remember the words. I have words that God would provide supernaturally, and I'm telling you the words that I got five and six years ago. Right now, during the worst time in our economy, I'm seeing those words of financial blessing beginning to come to pass. I have words that God was going to bring promotion, and I'm seeing those words come to pass. I've had words that God was going to touch nations through these broadcasts, and those words are going to come to pass. Sometimes the word, oh, I feel the Holy Ghost. Don't worry, we're going to expose the spirit of religion tonight. Believe this. But I'm telling you, I still have words right now that I'm hanging on to. And sometimes when things get rough, the only thing you have is the word of God. Sometimes when things get tough, the only thing you have is the words that have been spoken over you. Sometimes the promises are all you have. Have. Sometimes the words are all you have to fight for. I don't see my kids saved in the natural, but I have a word they will be saved. And so I'm going to fight for that word. These are what get us through tough seasons and storms. When I feel like God, somebody needs to hear me tonight and share this stream. When I feel like God is not speaking, come on, does anybody feel like God is not speaking to them right now? When I feel like God is not speaking, sometimes I have to go back to what he said in a past season. 
and it pushes me through the wilderness I'm living in. Sometimes in the wilderness, you have to remember what God spoke in the promised land. Some of you tonight need to say, I know I'm in a wilderness now. I know that everything feels dry around me, but I'm telling you, I also know what God has said about my word. Some of you can't stand your situation, but I came to tell somebody it will not always be this way. Maybe you're disappointed because of the layoff. Maybe you're disappointed because you're still single. Maybe you're disappointed because you didn't get that job or that ministry opportunity did not come through. But I came to tell somebody tonight it's time to look forward that it won't always be this way. I can name people right now that just three years ago I sat with them as they had tears in their eyes saying Isaiah the husband the wife that God promised has not showed up. The kids that God promised are not here. I'm struggling to get by. I just got laid off of my job and I'm telling you those same people three years ago not only have a better job not only are married now but have children. Why? Because they had to hang on to the word. You have to look at your situation and say it might be bad right now but it will not always be this way. That there is a rainbow at the end of every storm. That there is a mountaintop at the end of every storm and somebody is getting ready to see their promise. I'm telling somebody that's depressed tonight. It won't always be this way. I came to tell somebody that has cancer tonight. It won't always be this way. I came to tell somebody that's praying for their husband or praying for their wife that it won't always be this way that you will get out of this. I speak it now in Jesus name. You have to begin to look forward. You have to begin to look at the future of what God has for you. Some of you, oh, I got a word for you before we really jump into the word that I have. You are just in between words. Does anybody know what it's like living in between words? I'm living right now. Let me just be honest with you. I'm living in a word right now as I preach. I'm living in a word that God prophesied over me last year. I'm living in a word that God gave me last year that this year would be the internet revival year for our ministry. And I'm telling you right now, the hardest season is living in between words. Come on, Lori Victor. I see you. The hardest season is living in between words. I'm living in a word right now, but I'm telling you, I remember when I was in between words, when I was in between words, I still had to praise. When I was in between words, I still had to believe. When I was in between words, I still had to fight. I know what it's like to have all the followers and people coming to your meetings, but on the inside knowing this is not the word of God for your life. I know what it's like to be frustrated saying, Lord, externally I'm successful, but I know that this is not the word and the promise you have that there's more. And the Lord is saying it's time for somebody to praise me in between their word. I know that all your kids aren't saved right now, but don't panic. You're just in between your word. I know that you don't have the dream job God promised you, but don't panic. You're just in between your word. I know you're still praying for that husband or that spouse to finally get delivered and to finally get saved. I know that you've been crying out for that knucklehead husband, but I came to give somebody hope tonight and say you're just in between your word. Guys, I'm trying to give you a spoonful of sugar before I give you the medicine tonight. Somebody needs to begin to fight. I have a word. You say, Isaiah, I don't have a word. Well, guess what? 
tonight I'm going to give you your word and your word is the Bible says you will be healed you will find a spouse you will be delivered you will be bold and preach the gospel you will come out of this dryness you will come out of this depression my kids will serve the Lord I hear the Lord saying there is a praise coming to somebody's house there is a shout coming to somebody's house you need to begin to start looking at your situation from God's perspective I remember when I first started flying flying in planes. Now listen, I'm not a a fan of planes for a lot of reasons. I have literally right now in the last 10 years, I've spent hundreds of hours in airplanes. And I could say I'd probably rather ride through the desert on a donkey for 20 hours than to fly in an airplane. There's many problems with airplanes. The seats never go back far enough. They just barely go back. I think all the time, who engineered these airplanes? The seats go back this much, not enough room to fall asleep only enough room to wake up with neck pain there's always a crying how many people know come on can I get a one in the chat if you fly all the time and you know every time you fly somehow there is a crying baby behind you I'm telling you I could be in an airplane with a hundred people and there's one baby waiting to board the plane and I could already guarantee that crying baby is gonna be sitting right behind me I don't understand how on an airplane the cups they give you had they give you about this much would you like some water and they give you this much water it's not enough to quench your thirst it's only enough to make you even more thirsty there's always a delay every airline every airplane come on how many of you know there's always a delay it's normal to be delayed every time there was either a chicken found in the propeller Uh, the last time I flew I think the water the the toilet overflowed before we took off somebody stood up during the security check there's always delays in airplanes and I remember when I first started flying I was always so excited because I remember taking off and flying over cities I was familiar with and everything would look so extremely small you could fly over a warehouse a lake everything looks tiny in an airplane it's not because what you're looking at is small because I'm not trying to downplay your situation tonight but it's because your altitude is dictating your perception in other words the higher you go the smaller the world seems the higher your perspective the smaller the situation the reason why everything in your life seems so big and overwhelming right now now is because you're looking at it from your perspective and not God's perspective you're seeing it from your eyes and not God's eyes but I'm telling you when you begin to look at your situation from the throne of God when you begin to look at your situation from where God sits your divorce getting fixed is not as big of a deal as you've made it out to be your financial situation doesn't seem so big if you look at it from God's perspective your family getting saved doesn't seem like that big of a trial if you look at it from God's perspective your cancer getting healed doesn't seem so big after all your child getting saved doesn't seem so impossible if you begin to let your altitude dictate your perception let your altitude dictate your attitude that's why the Bible says I don't lean on my understanding I'm not basing my situation by my understanding I'm basing it on God's understanding I'm not walking at a walking or living from what I see if we can see America from where God sees it the abortion crisis could begin to get 
get smaller. Uh, the divorce crisis, the trafficking crisis, uh, the riots, and the COVID will begin to shrink uh, if we begin to see it from God's perspective. Uh, we need to get higher. The Bible says that you are seated with Christ uh, in heavenly places that right now you are seated in a place of authority. Right now you are seated in heavenly dimensions and you have power to beat the battle that you're going through. Now the battle is not always the enemy. Before I get into the spirit of religion that's functioning in many of our lives and even in the church now, I have to tell you that the battle going on, this is very important, especially because we've been talking about spiritual warfare, the battle that we're going on is not always the enemy working, but oftentimes I'm coming to find that it's not the enemy, it's the inner me. See, Paul says in Romans 7 that there is a spiritual battle that is going on on the inside of all of us. And sometimes it's not us wrestling the enemy, but it's us wrestling our own flesh. This is why Paul begins to break down the battle on the inside of all of us. Paul says, I don't really understand myself. There is something in me always fighting when I want to do the things for God. There is something in me. Come on, can somebody help me tonight? Am I the only one? There is something that's fighting me whenever I try to pray. There is something that's fighting against worship. There is something that is fighting against living right. There is something that is fighting when I'm trying to get out of these old addictions. There is something always fighting my right choices. And it's not always the external enemy, but sometimes it's the internal inner me. And that inner me is always battling with me. Have you ever been there? Paul says this, I want to do what is right, but instead I always always do what I hate. Is anybody, can I get a one in the chat? If you've ever been there where you want so badly to pray, you want so badly to witness to people, you want so badly to live your life for God and to please God in every situation, but there is something always wrestling you that wants to do wrong. There is something always battling you on the inside, always trying to take your praise, always trying to take your worship always trying to take your shout and Paul says instead I always do what I hate every time I want to do what's right and then Paul said there is nothing that lives good in me in my sinful nature in other words outside of God there is nothing good in me I find my worth in God I find my purpose in God come on share this please right now I find my value in God I find my joy in the presence of God there is nothing good on on the inside of me. That is why, come on, help me pastors. So many people leave the ministry and they say, Isaiah, I'm just going to take some time off. I just have to find myself. Understand something. You will never find yourself because you can only find yourself and the person that made you. You will never find yourself. People say, I'm going to go find myself. In other words, I'm going to go clubbing. I'm going to go find a relationship. I'm going to go find myself, but I'm telling you, you'll never find yourself at the club. You'll never find yourself in a relationship. You'll never find yourself outside the will of God. See, you will never understand the spirit of religion that is birthed in hell if you don't understand that outside the divine purpose and will of God, there is nothing good on the inside of you. Paul said, what a miserable person I am. Who will save me? This is in Romans 7. From this life dominated by sin and death. 
And Paul says the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. Friend, I'm telling you, Jesus died so that we can live and he's only able to live when we die. The life of Christ starts in me when my life ends in me. See, Christ can't start living until I start dying. And in order in this kingdom to gain life, you have to lose your life. The Bible says if any man wants to follow me, he has to lay down his life. And I'm telling you, God has anointed you to wrestle. He's anointed you to break misconceptions. God has anointed you to represent him on the earth. You have to understand that our calling and our assignment is not to represent religion, but it's to represent his kingdom on the earth. That is why if we are miserable, the world will think that our God is miserable. If we are lazy as believers, the world will think that he is lazy. If we gossip as believers, this is what they will think our God is like if we're always in a bad mood. Let me tell you, some of you, you need to get delivered from always being in a bad mood. You say, Isaiah, I don't know why my witness is ineffective. I don't know why nobody wants to hear me preach. I don't know why nobody wants to come to my church. It's because they don't want to be like you. Come on, share this. And if you are in a bad mood all the time, why would people want it to be a believer? The world is convinced that our God is boring. The whole world thinks Christianity is boring right now, not because it is, but because we are. We shape the perception people have on God. And maybe nobody wants God at your job because the way you act and represent him. The God that we serve in the Bible is not a boring God. And I'm telling you tonight that if you are a bored Christian, you are doing it wrong. The world thinks that God does not act, but I'm telling you, our God is active. Our God is moving. If there's no action in our lives, the world will not see his supernatural power. We need to see the supernatural power in the American church. The world does not believe that we have supernatural power. Yet the Bible says that we prove the gospel by signs, wonders, and miracles. The book of Acts is the supernatural acts of the apostles. Do you understand that the church was built on the supernatural? Jesus is looking for a people that would walk and live supernatural, not a people that would show up once a week and raise their hand for 20 minutes. This is the lie is that God does not require every day of our life. But I'm telling you, our God is an all-consuming, jealous fire. He's not a little stove fire or a fireplace or a grass fire. The Bible says he is an all-consuming fire. And when you get delivered and saved, he consumes every single part of you. God is not just interested in 1% or 5%, but I hear the Lord saying right now that I am an all-consuming fire and I'm getting ready to consume every idol tonight. I'm getting ready to burn everything in the way. We have to understand that we can no longer claim to be Christians and the world not see a different difference in us. I don't understand how we can serve the God that we say that we serve and nobody in the world even notices a difference about us. To say you're a Christian is to tell God, I'm going to live like your son. Friend, do you understand the weight? I'm trying not to run tonight. 
Do you understand the weight and calling yourself a Christian? Some of you change your Facebook status and say, I'm a believer now. But do you understand the mandate and the responsibility and the mission? This is not a light thing to be a believer. This is a mandate and a calling that God puts on a person that says, I want to represent your son in the earth. This is why Jesus was angry in the temple because he saw the state of humanity and it burdened him when he went into the church and saw that they made it a convenient place for people and Jesus began to flip the tables and said you've turned my house into a den of thieves this is not the purpose of the church from the purpose of the church is not a nice sanitized place for your family the purpose of the church is not a place where we have jungle gyms gyms and coffee shops the purpose of the church is to raise up an end time army to bring change and reformation in the earth and to establish a government that could never end and I'm saying Lord, where are the prophets that are going to cry out? Where are the Jeremiah's that would see the state of his nation and would stay up all night crying out to God? Where are the Isaiah's that would cry out in the Old Testament for the people over the genocides and the false idols and the wickedness? Where are the Daniels that have a prayer life, a man with no biblical record of sin, but says, I'm not going to stop praying until things begin to change in my nation. I'm going to stay up night after night after night crying out to God. Where are the John the Baptists that look for a fool, look like a fool during their crying out, begging people to repent, begging people to turn from their ways. None of these men cared what people thought. They lived their life for eternity. They did not get tangled up with the things of this world. They did not get tangled up with church drama. You have to understand that a good soldier does not get tangled up with worldly affairs and I hear the Lord saying there is a cry that is rising in the body of Christ there is a shout that is rising in the body of Christ that tonight somebody is going to get a burden somebody is going to get a shout somebody is going to lose sleep tonight not because they're on Instagram till three in the morning but because they feel the burden of the Lord God would you give us such a radical burden and such a radical passion that we would not care what anybody thought about us the days of worrying about what a pastor thinks or what a preacher thinks are over. It is time to get burdened for the revival to happen in the church. It's time to get burdened for the fire of God. See, the, the spirit of religion, and this is a demonic spirit, has created false perceptions in the church. What you need to understand about the spirit of religion is it was religion that crucified Jesus, and it is religion that is crucifying the move of God in the church today. There is one thing that religion can't stand, and that's innovation. Religion hates when things change. Religion wants everything normal, everything average, everything the same. This is why we've been doing church exactly the same. Not because the Bible says to do it, but because religion is obsessed with tradition. And I'm going to teach you tonight that tradition is one of the main killers in a move of God. If there is one way to kill the move of God in your life, if there is one way to kill the move of God in your family, is to begin to set traditions that stop the power of God. 
God is to begin to set traditions that are not biblical, which is what Jesus is going to soon here accuse the Pharisees of. Now, I want to make something clear. There is absolutely a demon of religion, okay? So there is a spirit that believers can have or people can have or anybody can have that is demonized called the spirit of religion. I have met the actual demon of religion on several occasions, and that demon revealed to me that it brings shame upon people. That demon revealed to me it brings condemnation upon people. One day that demon began to speak out of somebody and it says, it began to tell me, Isaiah, I convinced pastors that the supernatural is not real. I convinced people that the power of God is not for today. This is what the demon told me. See, the spirit of religion builds structures and walls in the church that keep God from moving. The spirit of religion keeps people from the altars. The spirit of religion keeps sacrifices off the altar. The spirit of religion hates when you shake things up. Even that we're doing this online live stream and some of you say, Isaiah, you're my pastor. Isaiah, this is my live stream church, especially during this quarantine. The spirit of religion hates when we break out of the box. The spirit of religion hates when we do new things. The spirit of religion can't stand when we break out of the mold of our three fast songs, our two slow songs, our 15 minute offerings, our 20 minute messages, and our three minute lukewarm water down altar calls. The spirit of religion does not want you to shake anything up. There is one thing that the spirit of religion hates and that is the gifts of the spirit see the gifts of the spirit go completely go against the demonic powers and the demonic spirits that are functioning even right now in the body of Christ and I remember one time I was doing deliverance on a guy and the spirit of religion spoke out of me spoke out of him and began to tell me about a pastor that I'm friends with and how that demon was functioning in that pastor and the demon said yeah why do you think that pastor doesn't believe that Christians could be demonized. He said, I'm the spirit that prevents people from believing that Christians could be demonized because if I could prevent them from believing Christians could be demonized, then I'll prevent deliverance from breaking out in the church. It is actually the spirit of religion that is stopping deliverance in the body of Christ. Now, I know the pastor that the demon was talking about and everything the demon says. Now, I know demons could lie, but everything that demon had said lined up with what that pastor believes. The demon said that's why that pastor doesn't want a move of God in their church because religion doesn't like anybody that's going to rock the boat. The spirit, the demonic spirit of religion doesn't like anybody to be more radical than the pastor. Doesn't like anybody to ask questions about the move of God. Doesn't like anybody to perform or walk in the supernatural power. Understand that we're going to identify the spirit of religion tonight and we're going to find out if some of us have that demonic spirit functioning in our lives. One of my main prayers is, Lord, I don't want the spirit of religion. I don't want to have a religious spirit. I don't want to look at something and say, God, you can't move like that, or you can't move to that capacity. I want to be open to anything. Now, I know there's some of you that are logging off here because this is just too much for you, and you know that you are as religious as it gets, but I'm saying, Lord, I don't want to have the spirit of religion. One of the main characteristics of the spirit of religion and why it's so dangerous is because the spirit of religion 
gives you a false sense of security it makes you think you're fine come on everybody share this it makes you think you're fine when you're really not fine we have this lie in America that you can go to church once a week oh, come on help me somebody by sharing this stream you can go to church once a week never live for God and be completely fine and I came to tell you that is a lie from the spirit of religion the Bible says that in the last days so many people will have a form of godliness but they will deny the very power that could make them like God and the Bible says this to stay away from those people why does the Bible say to stay away from religious people why does the Bible say stay away from those that have a form of godliness but deny the supernatural power of God because the religious spirit is a contagious spirit the religious spirit will actually rub off on you the spirit of religion is one of the most contagious spirit uh, that could influence a believer or influence a Christian. Uh, now, I know that there is a biblical religion. The Bible says uh, that true religion is taking after the orphan and taking after the widow. Just go ahead and reboot it. I know a lot of people are getting kicked. Just reboot it and come back in. Um, Facebook's posted today. They're having server issues. So just go ahead and refresh the stream and jump back in. But the Bible does say that true religion is taking after the orphan and the widow. Okay. We are not talking about true religion tonight. We are talking about the demonic power of religion or of the spirit of religion that drove the Pharisees to murder Jesus. Remember, the enemy used the spirit of religion to bring Jesus to the cross. Now, the Bible says if the powers and principalities knew what they were doing, they would have never brought Jesus to the cross. So we know that if the enemy knew that bringing Jesus to the cross was ultimately their demise, they would have never done it. Yet the enemy, remember this, the enemy used the demonic powers of religion to bring Jesus to the cross and to kill the move of God and I came to propose to you that the devil is using the spirit of religion to influence churches and some of you as I share these points about the spirit of religion you're going to say that's my church that's me or that's my pastor and that might be I'm not here to point a finger or to say any other way I'm going to use the Bible and what Jesus said to reveal the identifiers of the spirit of religion see religion will make you feel fine and make you feel like you have it all together even though you don't in Matthew 23 Jesus actually unmasks the spirit of religion and probably one of the the hardest chapters in the entire Bible where Jesus is going to openly confront the religious people. These were devout, sold out followers of God. And here is the question that we must ask ourselves based on the verses found in Matthew chapter 23. If you're just logging on, is it possible? Listen to me very closely tonight. This could be the most important message I've ever preached to the church. Is it possible to believe with everything on the inside of us that we are in the right and in the will? of God and doing what is right, but really have the spirit of religion and be out of the call of God. Absolutely. What you need to understand is that it's possible to be living in deception and not know it. And if we believe that God's word is true, every single word, and I'm also going to talk about, oh, we're going to go into it, okay? Because I don't want to give too much away. But if we believe that every single word God has spoken is true, we have to look at the hard areas that all of 
these pastors and preachers are avoiding the hard areas of scripture and say, is that me? Does my life match the description in Matthew 23? Does my life, when I read about the people that prophesied and that did miracles and Jesus says, depart from me for I never knew you. Does Isaiah Saldivar's life match that verse? Are y'all with me? Type one if you're with me. When it says so many will come and say to the master, you ate with us, you drank with us and you taught in our streets and the master will shut the door on their face and lock the door. Is that going to be me knocking at the door? When Paul says, evaluate yourself and see if Christ is even among you, do I evaluate myself? Is that me? See, we cannot be deceived. The spirit of religion works in deception and billions right now are deceived into thinking what they believe is right. How many know that Muslims think what they believe is the truth? Jehovah Witnesses think that what they believe is the truth. Mormons believe that what they believe is the truth. Jewish people believe that what they believe in the coming of Christ is true. Hindus believe that what they believe is the truth. All these religions think they're right and we can be deceived into thinking our lifestyle is right but according to God's word be wrong now John 10 says how do we know that we are living the true gospel and the Bible makes it clear Jesus said if you don't believe what I'm preaching believe the signs and wonders and miracles that follow me and know that I am in the father and the father is in me so when different religions try to say how do you know your God is real I tell them well I have an aunt that was born deaf and she can hear now well I've seen bones move in my hand. Well, I've seen cancers fall off of people. I've seen blind eyes open. I've seen demons get cast out. And our religion has proof. Miracles are proof of the gospel. So we have evidence. Now the Bible also says that if we don't just love people in word, but James says if we love them in actual action, we know that we are of the truth. So these are two different ways we know that we are genuine. One is the miracles, but two is that we're actually walking out what we preach. See, oftentimes we look at the Pharisees that Jesus rebukes and we say oh they're dumb I would never be religious like them yet we don't realize that they were not trying to be religious they were not trying to be deceived in fact I could go as far to say is the Pharisees were Pharisees on accident they weren't trying to be religious and so there's not one of you 740 of you on right now there's not one of you that are trying to be religious and saying oh Isaiah I like living in deception and the great problem with deception and and the reason why deception is so powerful is that you don't know you're deceived. If you knew you were deceived, it would not be deception. And the only way to break deception, which is what we're doing tonight, is somebody pulling the cover on your deception. And tonight we are going to pull the cover and we already are on the spirit of religion and we are going to get delivered once and for all. So tonight you will know by the end of this if you are living with the spirit of religion, if you are a walking modern day Pharisee or you are a follower of Jesus Christ. Now understand when Jesus rebuked the Pharisees and called out that demonic spirit, he did not deal with religion privately. The Bible says he dealt with it publicly. Religion needs to be dealt with from the pulpit. You say, Isaiah, why don't you just message the 
those pastors why don't you just write them and you don't expose it on a video like you're doing tonight because Jesus did not go privately to deal with religion the Bible says he did it in public in front of everybody we are not called to sit back pastors listen to me tonight you need to get some backbone you are not called to sit back and let religion take over your church you are not called to sit back and let religion take over America Jesus openly exposed demonic activity now one thing I want to make clear about the spirit of religion is it has nothing to do with outward appearance some of you say well I'm not religious I wear skinny jeans have a mohawk and lead worship but guess what you could wear skinny jeans you could have a mohawk and and lead worship and still be religious you can be relevant and religious at the same time because wearing a suit does not make you religious did you hear me tonight wearing a suit does not make you religious religion and the spirit is a matter of the person's heart the spirit of religion is coming to church on Sunday and being a Christian for two hours once a week and then walking out and living like the rest of the world the spirit of religion is making Christ just another one of your idols where you like him but you like everything else even more than him the spirit of religion is confessing that he's Lord but not living like he's Lord. The spirit of religion is accepting Jesus in your heart, but leaving him out of your job, leaving him out of your vocabulary at school, leaving him out of your family, and leaving him out of every other area of your life, but just worshiping on Sunday. The spirit of religion is reading the Bible, but not actually living out the Bible. If you say, Isaiah, I read the Bible, but I don't live out what it says to live, then you absolutely absolutely have the spirit of religion the spirit of religion is getting involved the church activities but not being involved with the relationship and communion with God the spirit of religion will get you excited at a service but get you bored at a prayer meeting come on somebody needs to tweet that the spirit of religion will get you as close to God as possible while meanwhile denying you access to know him the spirit of religion will worship about him it will talk about him It will even live for him. It will even die for him, but it will never let you know him. A lot of people have died under the banner of religion that never had a relationship. And this is what happens in most churches in America. People confess he's Lord, but don't live like he's Lord. People accept him into their heart, but they don't give them their life. People give Jesus 10%, but deny him the other 90% of everything else. They join the choir and sing about a God that they've never met. They accept Christianity and its rules, but they deny the governing power of Christ. Jesus said this, obey what the Pharisees say, but do not follow their examples. In other words, they preach it, but they don't live it. One of the initial signs that you have the spirit of religion is that you talk the talk, but you don't walk the walk. You have the talk at church and you know all the Christian lingo. Listen, I know this is messy is hard but we need this you have all the Christian lingo but at school you sound like the world at work you sound like the world at home your kids and how you talk is different than how you talk at church and there is a disconnect between your church life and the life you have in the world see Jesus makes it clear in Matthew 23 
One of the first indicators that you are religious or you are an accidental Pharisee is that your talk does not match your walk. This is why Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, but you don't obey what I say? In other words, stop saying that I'm the Lord of your life, but you never obey my word when I tell you to go do something. You never obey me. Everyone's saying, Lord, Lord, and I confessed it and I prayed the sinner's prayer, which by the way, we are going to break down the sinner's prayer tonight later on and how it's bringing deception in the body of Christ. But I'm telling you, people call him Lord, but they don't live like he says to live. And Jesus says, stop calling me Lord, but you don't do what my word says to do. This is why Paul said one of the scariest. Now, as a preacher, as a pastor, if you preach the word and you're in the chat tonight, this should be one of the scariest verses. And this should bring the fear of the Lord on you and out of any verse in the Bible. And this is Paul where he says, I have to be careful that after all of my preaching, I don't disqualify myself. I want you to think about this is Paul saying, after all that I've preached, I myself might be disqualified. After all the preaching that Isaiah Saldivar has done, I'm not above this, y'all. I'm not preaching at you. I'm preaching with you. After all the that literally thousands of sermons I preach, thousands of hours I've preached, thousands of places, and all the times I've shared, and all the times I've preached to you guys, and all the times I've preached the word, friend, I have like over 50 hours of preaching just from January on my YouTube channel. And Paul says, after all of that, listen to me very closely. And I get chills when I say this. I didn't even apply the preaching to my own life. And I literally disqualified myself. In other words, I was a coach and I didn't even play by the rules. Friend, I don't want to live my life preaching sermon after sermon after sermon, but never living out the sermons I preached. How many pastors preach the word, but don't actually live the word. They preach on holiness, but do not live a holy lifestyle. They preach on revival, but don't live revival. They preach on spiritual warfare, but don't practice it in their everyday or their own lives. And it is time that we don't just preach the word but that our talk actually match, matches our walk. See, understand, this is what Jesus was saying. He said, the Pharisees don't practice what they preach. Come on, y'all. How am I going to tell you to read the Bible if I don't even read the Bible in my personal life? How am I going to tell you to pray if I don't even have a prayer life? How am I going to tell you not to listen to worldly music if I don't even practice that myself? How am I going to tell you to develop a prayer life if I don't even have one? How am I going to tell you all these things I preach to you if I don't walk it out myself. We need to begin to practice what we preach. And pastors, you need to begin to preach what you practice. They preach it, but they don't practice it. It's time to start doing it. Jesus said another indicator that you are a Pharisee is that everything you do is a show. He said these Pharisees have extra wide prayer boxes. There's literally leather boxes that they would wear sometimes around their necks. Sometimes they would carry them. Sometimes they would literally put them on their head and they had verses in the prayer boxes and they were more concerned about the status that the prayer boxes gave them than the truth that the prayer boxes contained. See, the problem with the Pharisees were they knew the Bible, but it didn't change their life. They knew about holiness, but they didn't live holy. They knew about all the teachings, but they did not know God. And you have to understand that Jesus was saying, do not be like them. What they're saying is good, but their life 
lifestyle doesn't match it. So Jesus identifies one of the major characteristics of the spirit of religion is that you still care about what people think about you. So much of what we do is to be seen or heard by other people. This is why we pray at church, but we don't pray at home. This is why we shout and we scream and dance in service, but we don't have an everyday lifestyle of praise and worship. It's because we're putting on a show so that people can see us do certain things. I can't tell you how many times I've been in front of famous pastors or in front of famous people and I'm praying and I'm like praying, you know, I decree, I declare, and I'm saying all these fancy prayers. And the Lord says, Isaiah, why is it that you only pray that way when you're around famous pastors? Why is it that you only pray that way when you're on stage? I'll tell you why, Isaiah, because you still care about what people think. And that is the spirit of religion trying to pry into your life. That is the spirit of religion trying to get a foothold in your life. And you have to stop being worried about what other people think. The spirit of religion wants you to be worried about what everybody else thinks. It motivates you to do things that please the people around you so that you look more spiritual than you really are. And I don't know about you. Come on. Can somebody help me? Y'all are making me preach to myself. I don't know about you, but in the American church, we have gotten so good at swaying. We have gotten so good at clapping. We have gotten so good at saying amen. And most of it is a show to fool everybody around us that we are more spiritual than we really are. That is why there's little to no supernatural activity or communion with God in our everyday lives. But we're the most radical person at church. And I'm telling you, if you still care about what people think about you, if you're still putting on a show for people, then there is a spirit of religion functioning in your life. That is why Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter are full of people posting verses and every picture is them reading their Bible at Starbucks. It's so that they could let everybody else see how spiritual they are. I don't think maybe one time when I first got saved, but I don't post pictures of me reading my Bible. I don't post pictures of me praying. I don't post videos and say, look at my prayer life and look how much I'm reading. I don't tell you, oh, look, I studied for eight hours straight last night. Why? Because that's the spirit of religion trying to put on a show. We want others to see the show we're putting on because we still care about what they think. Every time we do anything for God, there are some of us that have to post about it. Now, God forbid we didn't get recognition from people on Facebook for what we do for him. Now, I'm not, I'm okay with this. Listen, if you post a testimony, praise God, post a testimony here and there and tell people about what God is doing here and there. But there is a problem when everything that we do for God, we need to post about everything we say we need to post about because the Bible says, if man rewards you here on earth, then God can't reward you in heaven. And many of us are being rewarded on earth from people on Facebook, but we're not being rewarded in heaven. And it's time to get delivered from what people think about us. It's time to break free from the spirit of religion. He's says, not only do they like what people think, he says, but they love titles. Jesus recognized, oh, I'm going for it here tonight. I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. Jesus recognized that the religious spirit loves titles. He said, you love sitting at the head of the table and be called rabbi. You love being recognized as superior over people. You love your titles. There are some of you that you're not motivated by God, but you're motivated by a position. If you have, you have this dream of being called a pastor, this dream of being called a preacher, this dream of having an apostle in front of your name. Friend, I have literally had people write me. I've had several people 
and say, Isaiah, we want to send you an honorary doctorate degree. Now I have a legitimate degree in theology. I went to college. I did, a, I did, uh, I have a four year degree in theology that I earn legitimately. And I've had people say, Isaiah, I want to give you a doctorate degree so that you could be called doctor in front of your name. And I have literally laughed at this saying, what does a title even matter? I've never laid a title on a sick person and the sick person got healed. I've never laid a degree on a person that was dead and they came back to life. I've never gone to a demon possessed person and said, well, I'm a pastor. Call me pastor Isaiah. If you know me, I have never asked anybody to call me prophet. I have never asked anybody to call me pastor. I have never required any of this from anybody because titles are meaningless in my opinion. Now there is a place if you want to be recognized here and there, but there is an occult practice of having to be called this title or being called rabbi or wanting to always sit at the head of the table. And Jesus recognized the spirit of religion as people that love being called pastor, people that love being called having a title, people that are in love with this title of apostle. And I'm telling you, I have met apostle after apostle after an apostle after pastor. And so many of them have no fruit. So many of them have no fire. So many of them have no sacrifice. So many of them have no prayer life, no movement of the Holy Ghost. I've met a thousand apostles, a thousand prophets, a thousand teachers. And so many of them aren't teaching anybody, aren't planning any churches or aren't doing anything. It's another mirage that we set up to cover up our religious agenda. People say, well, I'm the pastor. This is my church. This is my building. And this is my money. And Jesus says, if you want to be a great, great, you must be a servant. He says, those that exalt themselves will be humbled. And those that humble themselves will be exalted. The only way for God to organically raise you up is for you to humble yourself. And so I need everybody to ask themselves, am I in this for a title? Am I in this to get pats on the back? Am I in this because I'm in love with the website and the following on Instagram or the following on YouTube? Or am I a true humble servant of God? I'm telling you, I don't ever want to be more in love with the likes than I am the presence of God. I don't ever want to be in love with the messages and the followers and all the people patting me on the back. I want to be consistent in the presence of God. I want to be known as one that knew the Lord personally. It's time that we check our heart and we break the back on the spirit of religion because the American church is being ran by the spirit of religion and the spirit of Hollywood. We have nice lights and nice smoke and nice salaries and nice titles, but that's all about what we have. And we've allowed the lights and the programs and the parties and the strategies to be more important than the presence of God. I'm telling you, if worship leaders were more concerned about getting alone with God than they were their stylish wardrobe, we might actually be led into the presence of God. I look at all these famous worship bands and they are dressed and they talk and they act no different than the world. I'm so blown away. Listen, I'm not trying to be religious in saying this, but I'm telling you, we have so masqueraded and we have so become like the world and we are all about looks and it's time that the preachers begin to strive to be in the upper room the same way they strive to be in the green room. Can you imagine if we cared more about the time we spend with God in the secret place than the 
the amount of followers that we have on Instagram. The spirit of religion loves titles. Jesus is in front of everyone exposing these guys, saying, you put on a huge show. You love your titles. And Jesus is going to give them a series of seven major rebukes in these people. And Jesus is going to start these rebukes by saying, what sorrow awaits you? In other words, there is judgment over religion that God is going to judge everybody that is controlled by this religious spirit. There's a lot of people right now, a lot of pastors that are freaking out and they're they're all angry because their titles and their giving and everything that they worshiped and they cared about is being exposed. Everything that they loved is being exposed. And we are in a season where God is revealing and God is exposing what is going on in the church. But I'm telling you, the church is racing towards judgment, that there is going to be judgment over pastors that are cheating on their wives. There is going to be judgment on pastors that are embezzling money. There is going to be judgment on pastors that are not praying and pastors that don't have a walk with God and pastors that don't have a personal relationship. There is a judgment and Jesus starts out this entire indictment by saying what sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and I'm telling you the first thing he says to these Pharisees in the spirit of religion is that you are not letting other people in he says what sorrow awaits you for you shut up the kingdom of heaven in people's faces and you yourself do not go in Jesus was talking about the narrow gate that we use to enter the kingdom of God he tells these pastors not only are you not living on the narrow road but you're not letting anybody else on the narrow road and you are literally leading people to the broad road this is this false grace love movement that is leading people on the broad road and it's time I'm telling you that we get back to preaching the narrow road the road that we are walking is narrow and the Bible says difficult and we need to get back to preaching the narrow road Jesus says not only do you not preach it and you don't let people on it he said but you yourself are literally on the broad road. We need to begin to look at our lives and say, am I on the narrow road or am I on the broad road? Now, not only were they preventing people from being saved by their cheap watered down altar calls and watered down prayers, but they were literally preventing people from experiencing the supernatural power that the kingdom of God has to offer. Understand that we are the access point for people to experience the supernatural realm that have no relationship with God and there's this entire kingdom the entire world called the kingdom of heaven and he was saying you don't even tap into the kingdom of heaven you know where it is you know it's real but you're not willing to go in and you don't let your congregation in you don't let your congregation experience the delivering power that I've given you you don't let your congregation experience healing you don't let your congregation experience speaking in tongues you don't let your congregation experience and so you literally shut up the kingdom of heaven, the door that heaven comes through. He said, oh, I feel like preaching tonight. He says, you shut that door and you don't let anybody else in. The second thing he says, you're converting people to be like you. In fact, this is what Jesus told these people that had the spirit of religion. He says, you cross land 
and see, and this is in Matthew 23, to make one convert and then you turn them into twice the child of hell you are. This is Jesus's words to religion. He says, you are, you are literally converting people into being sons of the devil and to being twice the child of hell you are because you're not willing to do what I've called you to do. I know pastors say, Isaiah, just be calm. Isaiah, don't be so radical. Isaiah, don't preach on the spiritual realm. Isaiah, don't preach on prayer or giving God everything. And what they're really saying is Isaiah, be like us. Be twice the son of hell as we are. And this is the words of Jesus. And I've told pastors, come on, everybody right now, just click share everybody right now. I've told pastors before, I don't want to be like you because when the sick get around you, they don't get healed. When the dead get around you, they don't get delivered. Some of you pastors that are allowing this religious spirit to control you, you can't remember the last time somebody got healed in your church. You can't remember the last time somebody got baptized in the power of God. You can't remember the last time the Holy Spirit moved in power. So no, I don't want to be like religion. I want to make disciples, not religious converts. I don't want to grow a church. I want to grow the church. Friend, do you know how easy it is to grow a large church? Do you know how easy it is to put all the things together and make something happen? But I'm not trying to grow a counterfeit church. I want to be like the church church in the book of Acts. Come on, everybody share. Thank you for sharing. I want to be like the church in the book of Acts. Jesus says you're discipling people into lukewarmness. The third thing he says is you are following man's traditions over the word of God. The third rebuke to the spirit of religion. And the third way that Jesus exposed religion is that if you're religious, you follow traditions over God's word. I'm telling you, we have to understand that we are either following people, we are getting people to follow the traditions of man or we are getting people to follow the word of God a lot of the stuff we do in the church is not because God says to do it, but it's because the church down the road does it. It's because the growing church does it. It's because this person does it. It's because this mega church does it. And so we have a bunch of lukewarm ways to get lukewarm converts. Tell them they're saved when they're not really saved. And I'm telling you right now, size the size of your church does not validate whether it's a scriptural church or not. I'm telling you, Mary has a church that is growing, yet the church that that the the Catholic church that worships Mary is not the church Jesus built. Joseph Smith has a church that is growing, yet he's not in the will of God. Buddha has a growing church. Muhammad has a growing church. But you need to understand that there's a difference between healthy growth and unhealthy growth. So just because a church is large, it doesn't mean a church is, is healthy. How many know that if you twist your ankle and your ankle swells up and starts growing, it's not because it's good growth. It's because it's swelling and it's broken. And there's a lot of broken body parts in the body of Christ that are growing for the wrong reasons. And so much of what we're doing is tradition. In fact, Jesus accused the Pharisees who are living with the religious spirit that their traditions were stopping him from moving. Let me tell you something about the sinner's prayer, and I'm not going to go long on this. The sinner's prayer is not a biblical prayer. It's a traditional prayer. It was invented about a hundred 
150 years ago. If you go back to early church history, they did not have altar calls where they say, pray a little prayer and accept Jesus in your heart. Well, Isaiah, Jesus tells Nicodemus, for God so loved the world, he gave his only son and whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Yes, but you need to look at the context of this verse because the book of John, John says eternal life. I'm sorry. Yeah. The, in, in John, it says eternal life is knowing God and accepting his son, Jesus. So this is literally the translation. Whoever believes in him should not perish, but know God and his son. So when he was telling Nicodemus this, he was saying, Nicodemus, it's not just pray a prayer and invite me into your heart. Nicodemus, you must be born again. You must start an entirely new life. Come on, stay on here and share this. I'm about to drop some revelation here. You must give up the old ways. Well, Isaiah, what about the Philippian jailer? Because I'm giving you all the instances us pastors use to try to verify this sinner's prayer. What about the jailer in Philippi? Paul and Silas were in prison. They begin to worship God and all of a sudden there's an earthquake and the guard pulls out his sword and is about to kill himself. And Paul says, don't wait, don't kill yourself. We didn't escape. We're all here. And the guard says, what must I do to be saved? And Paul says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Here's the part that we don't talk about. The guard knows that if I get saved, I'm joining a group of people that are being imprisoned. I'm joining a group of people that are being flogged and stoned and beat and rejected by the world and it seems easy but understand it's the complete opposite Paul was saying if you join the thing we're telling you to join you're going to be persecuted by the world Paul did not say invite Jesus into your heart and everything is going to be fine this is why I don't lead people in the sinner's prayer well Isaiah and I'm I'm getting rid of all your excuses really quick here because this is tradition not biblical well Isaiah the Bible says if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord you shall be saved I'm glad you brought that up because notice it says Jesus is Savior. It doesn't say confess Jesus saved you. Understand that this context in Romans, Paul is saying is writing to the church in Rome and Paul is saying this, listen, back in those days, they were coming up to people. Um, you say you were at a construction site working and they would literally come up to you with an altar and they would say, we want you to confess that Caesar is Lord. So they would literally come up to you, say you're working construction. I'm just going to paint a picture for you. And they would walk up with the altar and they would say, okay, I want you to say Caesar is Lord. In fact, in those days, the money said Caesar is Lord. And so they would go down the line of all the workers and everybody would have to take the incense and they would pay homage to Caesar. And they would say, Caesar is Lord. Caesar is Lord. Caesar is Lord. And so Paul is not writing unbelievers. Paul is writing the church in Rome and saying, understand if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, they're going to kill you, but you will be saved. And so Paul says, when they get to that line of construction workers and everybody's confessing Caesar is Lord and they get to you now that you're a Christian. He says, I want you to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. They're going to kill you for it, but know that you will be saved. Understand the context. It was not some religious prayer that he was saying to prayer, pray. He was saying, you need to confess he is the Lord, that he owns everything. He rules every decision. He picks every path. He governs every moment. This is not a one-time thing. Well, what about in Revelation? chapter 3 all the evangelists say 
God is knocking at the door of my heart. And if any man open, I'll come into my heart. That is not what Revelation chapter 3 says. Revelation chapter 3 is not about God knocking on the door of your heart. It's about God knocking on the door of the backslidden church that has rejected him. That's continuing to play church without the presence of God. I'm telling you, I could give you illustration after illustration. There is not one reference in the entire Bible. Guys, if we're telling people, if you pray this prayer and accept Jesus in in your heart you're going to be saved why is it Jesus did not do that there's not one account or one reference of Jesus coming saying okay guys I'm here I brought my kingdom with me and all you need to do is accept me into your heart and everything's going to be fine it's not in the Bible it's facetious it's it's uh su- it's superficial not supernatural and we got to get back to being born again we got to get back to the word of God we got to get back to preaching God's word so he said, you follow traditions. The fourth thing he says was this, and I'm almost done here on revealing the religious spirit. And if you're saying yes to any of these, then tonight you're going to break the religious spirit off your life. He says, you love details, but you ignore what's really important. And here's what he tells him. He says, you focus on tithing, but you ignore bigger issues like justice, mercy, and faith. He says, you're interested in the little details, but you ignore the weightier things. So here's what Jesus was saying. There are weightier things in the church than just tithing and church attendance. And you're blatantly ignoring the major issues in your church. And you're worried about the little issues. You don't want these little things so Jesus was saying this that you worry about all these little things but there's major issues so my question is always this why are we so focused on these little issues but we're ignoring the major issues Isaiah what are the major issues I'm glad you asked how about the fact that most churches in America don't have prayer meetings how many how about the fact that we are compromised that we talk like the world that we live like the world that we act like the world that there's a bunch of pastors that are afraid to preach the gospel there's a bunch of pastors that are afraid to walk in the supernatural power of God. There's a bunch of watered down dead preachers and dead pastors that are leading dead prayerless people. And we're focused on these little issues, but not dealing like major issues. Like why is it so many people in our church are in demonic bondage, yet pastors are not willing to preach on deliverance? Why is it we preach on tithing week after week after week? But what about preaching on deliverance? What about talking about repentance or holiness or the fear of the Lord or living a consequence? created lifestyle. There are some of you that your church is constantly doing series after series on giving and tithing. Let me tell you, now I'm, I know I'm exposing the spirit of religion. I know I make people mad, but it's okay. When you talk about demonic powers, you make people mad. Let me tell you why your church has to always week after week hit you over the head about tithing, why they always have to beg you to give, why they always have to sit there and do series and sermons about harvest and double blessing and all that. It's because the people in the church are not truly getting converted and not and people that are not true converts don't like giving. When you really really get saved and delivered. You have no problem giving your finances. When I got saved, I had no problem tithing. I have no problem giving to ministries because my, I didn't just get saved, but my wallet also got saved. But when you have churches with watered down believers that are not truly converted, you have to constantly beg them to give. When pastors say, Isaiah, only 15% of my church is actually giving. It's not a situation of we need to teach them about giving more. It's a situation of you have a bunch of counterfeit Christians that were never truly converted 
started. And so you have to beg them to give. This is why on our broadcast, we don't do 30 minute long giving. I'm not going to sit here for 30 minutes and say, you need to give, you need to give, you need to give because people that are truly on fire and they're receiving the word, they just give automatically. And it's the issue is not tithing and giving. The issue is heart issues is that they need deliverance. They need breakthrough guys. Why is it? This was what so frustrated me last week when Gavin Newsom, uh, by the way, I'm from California and our governor said, you're not allowed to have singing in church. And every pastor, every pastor started posting videos. The devil's trying to shut down our worship. The devil's trying to stop our praise. Number one, not no one's going to stop praising because they said we're, we have to stop praising. But number two, all I could think about was where are all these pastors when their church is writing me, all their members are writing me saying, Isaiah, I have demons attacking me. And the pastor says it's not real. Where are those pastors when the devil has our churches in bondage and there's no passion to fight the enemy yet the moment some governor who's not even saved says that we can't sing in church everybody wants to freak out what would happen if we took all of our focus and our energy out on the enemy instead of out on governments and out on each other it's time that we take our passion to the weightier issues and we stop preaching every week on tithing double blessing and your miracle is around the corner it is time to deal with the weighty issues like the justice and the mercy of god so Jesus says, if you're religious or you're at a religious church, they always worry about little petty issues, but don't worry about major issues. He said this, you clean the outside of the dish, but you fail to wash the inside. I'm almost done here. So in other words, you're worried about the outside, but the spirit of religion is not worried about the inside. See, the spirit of religion lets you be in success and clean on the outside, but lets you be filthy on the inside. Your words are good, but you have a terrible thought life. The spirit of religion, religion is all about how you look on the outside. It is all about vanity. How many people know that I would way rather have a cup that was dirty on the outside of the cup than was dirty on the inside of the cup. And Jesus says the spirit of religion cleans the outside. Remember, this is Jesus talking to the modern day church. He says the spirit of religion is always worried about the exterior, but it is never worried about the interior. In other words, if you are always worried about your external actions, but not your thought life, not your personal life. There are many people that are public successes, but they are private failures. And it's time tonight to break that spirit of religion and say, I don't just want to be a public success and a private failure. I want to live my life clean on the outside, but also clean on the inside. He told them, and this was the sixth indictment. He says, you guys are whitewashed tombs. You act spiritual to cover up your sin. See, understand when he called them whitewashed tombs, they would pretty up the dead bodies and they would have nice caskets. But I'm telling you, regardless of how nice the casket is, it did not change the fact that what was on the inside was really dead. How many of you been to these nice mega churches that are so beautiful on the outside, but they're dead on the inside? They're massive spiritual caskets. This was what he was talking about. It was the massive cover-up. It was the church of Sardis. He said, you have a reputation of being alive, but you're dead on the inside. And there are churches on every corner that are massive whitewashed tubes that they pretty up themselves to cover up the fact that they are dead on the inside. And I'm telling you, I've been to some store corner churches that have no 
hardly no electricity. I've been to some churches that have hardly no air conditioning. I've been to some churches where the toilet clogs every time you use the restroom. And I have felt the power of almighty God and some of the most ugly churches on the outside. They were ugly. Their building was ugly. Their facilities were ugly, but the power of God was moving. And I've been to some of the most polished million dollar churches. I've sat in offices with pastors that say, oh yeah, we just built this $10 million building paid off cash. This huge, massive building and I've been in their services and they were dead and there was no power and no miracle anointing and all it was was a all they did was build a 10 million dollar casket they built a 10 million dollar tomb see the spirit of religion worries about the outside but there's death on the inside the last sign of the spirit of religion is Jesus told them in Matthew 23 you built tombs for the prophets your ancestors killed yet you do the same thing that they do. Let me break it down in modern day terms. He says you don't learn from your past. He says your current life shows that you've not learned from the past. See, oftentimes we read about all these revivalists like Smith Wigglesworth, like David Wilkerson and we or Leonard Ravenhill, and we say, oh, they're so amazing, and we worship them after they've died, and we build monuments over them, but understand that in those days, David Wilkerson was not accepted. In those days, Leonard Ravenhill was not popular. In those days, Smith Wigglesworth to the American church was an outcast. And now that they're dead, we worship and celebrate them. Yet Jesus says, you don't realize I'm sending prophets to you and you keep killing the prophets and then worshiping them later. He says, I will send you prophets and wise men and teachers, but you will kill them and you will crucify them. Jesus is saying, I love you so much. And this is my ending here before we pray. He says, I love you so much that I'm sending people to preach you the truth, but because of your religious mindset, you literally turn away from them and kill them. He says, you will, you embrace the truth from your ancestors, but you kill what I'm saying right now. And there are some of you that are going to write you, write me off tonight, but I'm telling you if any of these things fit you, if any of these things you say, Isaiah, you're right. I do love titles. Isaiah, you're right. I do put on a show. Isaiah, you're right. I am a whitewashed tomb. I am pretty on the outside, but I'm spiritually dead on the inside. Isaiah, you're right. I do only care about the petty issues, but I don't worry about major issues in the church. Isaiah, you're right. I am all the stuff that you said. I, I do confess it with my mouth, but I don't live it with my heart. Isaiah, you're right. I've allowed tradition to get me from the power of God. I've allowed tradition to stop me from moving. There's some of you that you're so traditional. You allow things in your life that God has not even said in scripture to do, you do them because it's what you were raised doing, but it's time to revolt against the spirit of religion. It's time to stop making disciples that are twice the son of hell that we are. I believe tonight we are going to break the power of religion. If that's you, you say, Isaiah, come on, just type one. You say, Isaiah, I'm breaking the spirit of religion in my life. This is the spirit that Jesus identified in Matthew 23. And this is the spirit that is infiltrating the American church. The American church has chosen to be super superficial over being supernatural, but it's time to get back to the supernatural. I'm going to pray for you and then I'll bring my kids in in a couple minutes and we'll hang out and talk. But I got to say this prayer over you right now. Father, 
We are asking tonight that you would break the spirit of religion. Father, we are asking, break off that religion that's holding us back. Lord, I'm asking you before I even pray over them, Lord, I'm asking you if there is any bit of religion in me, if there's any bit of demonic religion in me, I pray that you would expose it and you would remove it. Father, we are praying for the power of God to just flow right now. I speak over every person watching. I speak over every person in the chat and I break the spirit of religion. I I break every legal tie to that spirit of tradition. I break every legal tie to that spirit that wants you to put on a show. I break every single tie to that spirit that acts one way on Sunday, but acts completely different during the rest of the week. I break that spirit that loves the title, that loves being called rabbi, that loves being in the front of the line. And Father, we ask you right now that you would break that spirit of religion. We don't want it anymore. Lord, we pray over every pastor. Let there be revival. Lord, let us stop doing things that are traditional but not biblical. Let us stop making false converts and false decisions. Father, we pray if there is a spirit of religion that is stopping them from receiving your power or receiving your Holy Spirit, we pray an anointing right now. I say be filled with the Holy Spirit. I say be filled with power. I say be filled with the anointing of Almighty God. Lord, we ask that tonight you would release the gifts of the Spirit. We ask that tonight you would release the power of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, you would break the back on that spirit of religion. Lord, I don't want to be a Pharisee on accident. I don't want to be a Pharisee. I want to truly be a disciple. I want to truly know you. So Lord, break the spirit of the Pharisee. Break the power that the enemy has tried to put on my life to make me religious. Lord, forgive us for just judging other ministries. Forgive us to saying you can't move that way or you have to move this way. Who are we, Lord, to tell you how you how you could move or what you can do? Father, we are praying the spirit and the power and the anointing to break religion right now in Jesus' name. I just pray over every one of you that God would expose all of our religious agendas. I pray over every one of you the fire and the anointing of Almighty God would just come right now. It's time to break out of the spirit of religion. It's time to get set on fire. I thank God that God has brought you into these streams to help you, to equip you, to train you in the spirit realm. I thank God for all the messages, guys. Please continue to send me messages. Please continue to tell me your testimonies tomorrow. I'm going to go through a ton of messages. So if you've messaged me in the last week, I'm getting like 20 to 30 messages a day. So I can't go through all of them every day. Tomorrow, I'm going to go through a bunch of them. So please message me. I'm going to bring my kids here in a minute so they can hang out and talk to you guys. I'm going to read through all the donations and talk to the chat. Let me read through these donations now. Um, Let me stop my recording. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Revival Lifestyle Podcast. If you like what you heard, go to www.isaiahsaldivar.com for more content. And please follow me on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram at Isaiah Saldivar. See you next week.